All right, if you get your Bibles together with me this morning, we're going to be looking in the 27th Psalm, Psalms 27. Psalms 27. And our prayer is that the Lord would continually remind us that he blesses his word. He's promised us it will never return void, but it always accomplishes the reason why he sent it. That's not exactly the way that's that's Isaiah 55, 11, and, but it's what it says. And we thank him for that as we read it together. I'll read the first eight verses. This is a psalm of David. I'll read the first eight verses. And here's what it says. <clears throat> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Or what? Doesn't matter. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength, the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now you have to remember this is David, King David speaking, and think about his unique experience in life. He says, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his temple." For in a time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up on a solid rock, on a rock, upon a rock. And now shall mine hand be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. And therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praise unto my Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry, when my voice uh, have mercy, uh, hear, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek you my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Now, if you remember, Last Sunday morning, I shared with you that I had run across the statement, one thing, I read some lips this morning, you all do remember, one thing, and I thought, that's neat, just one thing. And I looked it up, I found 16 times in the Bible when it says, one thing, and so... I felt like the Lord was leading me to share some of these great, wonderful truths that come from a statement like that in the Bible. Not all of them. I won't be 
bring in messages on all 16 of them because about half of them, uh, you know, just says something that maybe doesn't have as much of a spiritual truth to it as some of the others. So you might remember that last Sunday morning, I shared with you a graphic illustration that comes from that statement. And I shared with you about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus And he said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you know the law, and quoted, I think, maybe the last ten commandments. And I haven't figured out if there's a way to understand why he quoted. If you know something, please share it with me. It would be interesting uh, to me to know why that he just quoted the last commandments. But he did. He said, you know the law. And that young man said, all these things have I kept from my youth. And Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. Go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And he went away sorrowfully because he had great possessions. The one thing that he lacked is stated this way in the New Testament. Jesus made this statement. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, it wasn't necessarily a big deal how wealthy he was. It was that he didn't have his wealth, his wealth had him. There's the difference. There's the difference. It controlled him. It determined what he did and didn't do. And it's illustrated in the text. And I said in that message One thing might not mean so much, but it's Jesus saying one thing you lack. In other words, this one thing, you will split hell wide open over it because you cannot serve me and serve your wealth. And so what an awesome illustration that is. And so that was last week. This week, I'm going to share with you from this psalm a precious verse where David says this in verse 4. Now you can look back at it again. In verse 4, he says, One thing have I desired. One thing have I desired. Now I want to say something about that. Uh, you know, when I, when I read that and really thought about it, I knew that there wasn't just one thing that he desired. Because I've read his Psalms. And even in this Psalm, There's more than one thing that he talks about in this psalm. You can read it all. Uh, It's such a blessing to read the psalms of David because we learn so much from it. But the first thing I thought of was, I'm sure that David was like myself and like all of us that are participating in the service this morning. If you could say uh, the things that I pray about and pray for, I could make a list. And I could too. I could make a list. I could tell you this morning several things that I pray continually about, over and over about, because they're on my heart, and they're on my mind, and I lift them to the Lord. I've been praying for a long time for a great awakening in America. By the way, it may be about to happen. I'm serious. It might just be about to happen. And whatever it takes, Lord, wake us up. Wake us up. Too many sleeping, too many not caring what goes on in our great country that God was 
uh, instrumental in initiating and getting going. I just can't help but just add that in there. But all of us would have more than one thing. But what it's saying is, in the psalm, is of all the things, this is my priority. This is number one. In other words, if I had to abandon everything on my list that I'm praying for, I would abandon it all except this one thing. This one thing that is so important. And so that's what the psalmist is saying here. It is his priority. Now, what he says in this is uh, the Old Testament way of saying that I might experience unbroken communion with my God. Now, it can be broken. I think we all know that. I think every Christian that I'm preaching to today would admit, just as I would admit, that there are things in this world that can break that fellowship. Things in my life that can upset that and, and take the focus away from that. And there can be... There, a backslidden Christian is one that is out of fellowship with the Lord. Out of fellowship with the Lord. That's what it means. That's what it means. And so, what he's asking for that I may enjoy unbroken fellowship all the days of my life, that I might experience sweet communion with my Lord, with my God, all the days of my life. This is what he's saying here. He was saying of all the things that I might pray for, this is paramount and this is the dominant aim of my life. Now I think it's interesting thinking about this, that which inspired David. And of course you can read it in the context. You know what inspired David to pray this prayer. David realized, in other words, uh, he says here in this passage, uh, he will hide me in verse number 5. For in time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Now that was his experience. His experience was that. And so this was his priority. What is it that inspired David to say what he said in the fourth verse? Simply, it was gratitude. It was gratitude. I want to tell you all something this morning. It's going to be so profound. You won't even be able to believe that it come from the mind of your preacher. Without it, you do not seek this. Without a thankful attitude, you are out of line with our text verse this morning. If you're not thankful. If you're not thankful for the things that God has blessed you with. So we got to understand David's particular experience. And I know probably most of you have studied well the life of David. You've experienced that. As a matter of fact, uh, it had been long ago that I read uh, some article or something on the life of David. Life, it's unique. It's really special. Dave, God really watched after him. God protected him. There were times when you would think that there was no way he could avoid being killed and dying. But David was a great warrior and God's hand was on his life. And he knew that. He understood that all the way through. Oh, when you go back to the very first experience he had, he was just a child, maybe 10 or 11 years old, watching the flock. And he says in there, when, when he was confronted with Goliath, the giant, he said, 
a, a lion came to take a lamb and I took it away from him and killed him. And a bear came and I took it away from him and killed it. This was just a little boy. There was something special and unique uh, in him. And he took that sling and them five little stones. They tell me that he did so because Goliath actually had four more brothers. <laughs> That's interesting. But he killed the giant. Started out when he was just a kid, he killed the giant. And I want to say that's his particular experience. One thing David had learned in life, he is my shepherd. He watches over me. He guards me. He protects me. He hides me in his pavilion. And David was saying, I am so thankful for that. I make this commitment. This is what I'll seek after all the days of my life, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that I might see the beauty of the Lord, experience those things that we find in our verse. Now, none of us have ever or ever will probably experience what David did in his life, the dangers and stuff that come his way. But we do have things that are different, different challenges in our life they're all tests. I, I want to say this this morning. You say, I've had people say, Preacher, what do you think about COVID? What do you think about over and over for two years? A test. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Well, Peter said this, and in, this is in the first chapter of 1 Peter, and he says, this, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you uh, are in heaviness through manifold uh, temptations. That word in the Greek is tests and trials. I want to tell you this morning, I have been through a lot of them. I'm telling you that I understand you have too. Every day of our life, there are those things that we confront that are tests and trials in our walk. Every single day. You might say, well, I've never had or never will probably have the experience of David, but you've had experience, and all of them are tests and trials. He says this, that the trials of your faith. That's what they are. Every one of them are. That's what COVID has been. You say, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. I've had COVID. My wife had COVID. Many of you here in the sanctuary have had it. As a matter of fact, now more have had it than even know it, to tell you the truth. So it's become something like the flu, as I shared with you last week, that the flu is more deadly now than COVID. And uh, it just tickles me how that some want to hang on to uh, COVID as long as they can and uh, because it's the way of controlling people and taking away your freedom. That's of the devil. Now I think we need to be wise, but I also believe in common sense. I believe in people understanding what my threats are in life and, and know how to deal with them and not have to have somebody telling me what to do and what not to do. I saw this on a news broadcast uh, this past week. Uh, I've been seeing things uh, that people are lo have lost confidence in some of the institutions that have to do with our health. The CDC, and I learned this, 50% of their budget comes from the pharmaceutical companies. 50%. Well, uh, anybody knows that there's going to be some tainting going on there, you know, and stuff. And so, anyway, 
the trials of your faith. And, and uh, I, I can say this personally, that the COVID thing was a trial of my faith. I know that. I understand that. I understand it. And I thank God that He uses those trials to make our faith stronger, not weaker. He says that the trials of your faith, being more precious than gold that perisheth. Now for some that's not true. The trials of their faith are not precious. And there is no trial of our faith that is precious in itself. But when we think about it in terms that all things work together for good for them that love Him and are the called according to His purpose... Wow, they become precious. I want to tell you all something. You may think I'm not telling you the truth, but I would never tell you something that's not true. I think back in my life, and I can tell you the trials of my faith have been a blessing to me in the long run. If They make us wiser. They make us stronger. And they make us trust the Lord even more. And they, I know that I'm preaching to some that would say, there's nothing could come to me in life that would not uh, me and the Lord handle it. Me and the Lord's going to handle it. You see, you might as well say that because I want to tell you something. He's a sovereign God. He's in control. I tell people all the time, there's nothing that happens to you that either wasn't directed or permitted of God. Nothing. If God didn't cause it to happen to you, I'll tell you what He did. He allowed it to happen to you. I was listening to a sermon this morning. Uh, our radio goes off on Sunday morning, and there's a preacher on there. And he was talking about Job's experience. Oh, how awful that was. Job's experience. You know, uh, about a storm that took out all of his children and his uh, livestock and everything and that preacher made this remark he said the devil obviously in the text the devil sent it brought it about but guess what God let him you know my God that I serve he's a God of purpose I'm so thankful he doesn't ring of course, he's spirit. He don't. He, the Bible talks about it, the hand of the Lord, of course, but it's figurative language. But if he had hands, he wouldn't be ringing them, wondering what he's going to do next, <laughs> because of the way you act or the way I act. I want to tell you something. The God I love and serve is a sovereign God in control of everything, everything. And you know what? It causes me to lay down and sleep at night causes me to do that because I, I know all, that doesn't mean I'm not responsible and that I'm not accountable. I want, you to, I want you to know that. But Peter said that. He said they're more precious. Those things that come along in our life. More precious than gold that perisheth. Though it, though it be tried by fire might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have the experience that King David had. But I've had experience. I've had my own. I've had my own as God has allowed in my life. In the 42nd Psalm, you can turn over a page or two from our text this morning. The first two verses are precious. And here's what they say. And we sing about this. We sing about it all the time. Brother Aaron will lead us uh, maybe once a month average singing this song. And it says, As a heart painteth after the water brooks, well, that's a deer 
And we sing that song, As a deer painteth for the water, so my heart painteth after thee. That's the words of the song. And so this is what it says. As a heart painteth after the water brooks, so painteth my soul after thee, O, before, after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. Let me, let me just say something right there. That's not something you bring about. Oh, well you may seek Him, and He may work that grace in you. He may cause your heart... You know, let me tell you something. You know what's wrong with a lot of people? Why they can't relate to this verse? I'll tell you why. You know, the Bible says when God saves someone, He gives them a new heart. The old heart's not capable of seeking God. It can't, it won't, and it doesn't want to, be honest with you. So if you could say, preacher, I can relate to that. I can relate to a hunger and a thirst after my God. If you can do that, you need to thank Him for it because that's where it comes from. He says, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And so, we have that attitude uh, about that. Now, as I said a moment ago, David was not passive in this. In other words, uh, you know, somebody might say, well, this is the experience I have with God. And I didn't do nothing. I, I preach that all the time. I didn't do nothing to bring that about. Well, you may not have done anything to bring it about, but I want to tell you something. You're not passive in your attitude and your walk. One time about 57 years ago, I was convicted of my sin. I was convicted of my lost state and my lost condition. And I was walking through a cow path, going to the creek bottoms to get the cows up. One, uh, one week when a revival service was going on, I can take you to the very spot. I stopped. And I looked up in the sky, I can almost see the same clouds that were flying. And I began to pray to the best of my ignorant ability to pray. I need to be saved. I need to know that Jesus is in my heart. And I, I prayed that prayer. And that night in that church service, I jumped out of the pew and run up the aisle, took the preacher by the hand to tell him that I had trusted Christ as my Savior and I wanted to make a public profession of my faith. I didn't care if the world knew it. Amen? I wanted, to, I wanted to express in my public profession of faith. The Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Tell everybody you see, God saved my unworthy soul, and I'm thankful for it. And that dictates and dominates the way I act. So David wasn't passive. He says here in this verse, listen, he says, that will I seek after. That will I seek after. In the 8th verse, he says this. This is a precious verse. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, did you know this morning the Bible says that over and over about seeking the Lord? Look it up sometime. Just get your concordance out and look it up about seeking the Lord. And so David said that when thou says seek my face, and he did, it says, my heart said. David didn't say my mouth said it. He said my heart said it. I understand that. I know what he's talking about. Said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. David wasn't passive in that. And I want to tell you all this morning, listen to this. 
You don't have to be passive in that either. You might be concerned this morning that you're not seeking Him as you believe you should, and you need to make a commitment that you will, and then you need to pray, Oh God, help me to seek Your face. Help me to uh, be joyful in that. Help me to desire that. Give me a hunger. Give me a thirst. There is a place of quiet rest. We sung it. Near to the heart of God. You think about that. Is there something that's near to the heart of God? Let me tell you all something this morning. He's here with us. He's here today. You say, how do you know that? (laughs) Well, I know the Bible says that where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. You see, there's something unique, and I preach this all the time. Unique and special about God's people being assembled together with an attitude of worship. How many of you believe that the Lord seeks after that? Read John chapter 4. When you read John chapter 4, you'll find Him saying that we must worship Him in spirit and in truth, and the Lord seeks such to worship Him. So He seeks worship. He seeks worship. We might think, well, you know, God just created man and created this world, and it's not no big deal to Him about this, that, or the other. I got, I got news for you. You start reading in the beginning of your Bible, you'll discover that God created Adam and Eve, and He walked with them in the cool of the evening. That's the way it's expressed. God cared about fellowship with them and their fellowship with Him. You say, well, preacher, what happened? Well, you know what happened. Sin breaks that. It did then. God came in the cool of the evening and He spoke out, Adam, where art thou? It wasn't because God needed to know where Adam was. God knew exactly where he was. But Adam needed to answer the question. He was hiding from God. That's a condition of all of our fallen world that we live in. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, it says they're foolishness to him, and neither can he know them. In that state, he can't know that. I want to tell you, anybody who hears me this morning, if you are unsaved, you can't fellowship with God this way. Not as it's described in the passage. One thing have I desired, and he said, and that will I seek after. Seek is a wonderful word. Let me, let me, here's another profound thing coming from the mouth of you preacher. <laughs> How many of you know that you seek those things that you enjoy and need? Did you know that? Don't you? You do. You seek those things that you enjoy and need. Now sometimes you may wonder about people who rarely ever attend the worship service, yet they claim to be saved. Could it be that there's no fruit there? How many of you believe when the Lord saves somebody, there will be fruit? Last Sunday night, I think it was last Sunday night, I can't remember for sure, but I used some verses in John chapter 15 about abiding in Him. We are, he's the vine and we're the branches. And we don't bear fruit 
without the vine. And Jesus said in verse 16 of that chapter, uh, you have not chosen me, I've chosen you, that you bear fruit and your fruit remain. There are people who don't bear fruit. Now either they're not saved or they're out of fellowship with the Lord. Preacher, what do you think about being out of fellowship with the Lord? I think you better repent. That's what I think. You better repent. And you better get back in fellowship with the Lord if you're a saved person. You say, well, what if I ignore that? Well, you go ahead and ignore it. If you really are a saved person, guess what you're going to do? You're going to repent. (laughs) You are. The Bible says that. Who is it that God disciplines? Every son that He receiveth. I'm thankful for it. The times in my life when I got a little crooked along the way, I got a God to straighten my path out. And I'm thankful for that. Now, if you claim that you know the Lord and you're out of fellowship with Him and you don't intend to change that, you don't intend to repent, well, I just got news for you. If God doesn't intervene in your life, you're in worse trouble than you thought you was to begin with because you may not even be a saved person. That's the fact. That's the Bible fact. So he was not passive. He was seeking what he enjoyed. And what he enjoyed was the house of the Lord. He enjoyed his tabernacle. It was a place. That was a place for David where he experienced the presence of God in a unique way. And I preach this all the time. The presence of God is everywhere. And we can, we can experience the presence of God in a lot of places. In a lot of places. I enjoy walking in the woods. I just love to walk in the woods. I live in a place where all I got to do is go out the back door and go out the back and I could probably walk for hours and never see a house or a barn or nothing. You say, preacher, you live in the wilderness. Yeah, and I love it. (laughs) In the woods. I like walking in the woods. Especially in the fall of the year. Oh man, some of the most special prayers I've ever prayed. I just got down on my knees in the woods and, and I just talked to the Lord. And He was there in the woods. Right? He was. He was there. You see, He's talking about a place where He could behold the beauty of the Lord. Now I want to tell you something. God has always sought to be among His people. In one of my special verses is in the book of Exodus. And God's getting ready to tell Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness. It was like a tent that they could take down and put back up. And God, God says these words, And let them make me a sanctuary. Now, let me, let me explain to you what a sanctuary is today. This is a sanctuary. This is the part of our building that is set aside to worship God. And we need to respect it. It's a sanctuary. It's a place where we're careful that we're not eating our lunch here and drinking our drinks here and men don't wear their caps here. (laughs) Now ladies, you can wear a hat and covering if you want to, but the men can't do it. And so we respect this place. And over the years I've run a many a young and out, tell it to go somewhere else and eat its bologna sandwich and then come back or whatever. It's well to respect. This is a sanctuary. But you know what a sanctuary is in the eyes of God? Did you know that for the first 500 years of church history, they didn't have buildings like we do? Well, you say, well, where'd they meet? Well, for a long time they met in the, in the temple there in Jerusalem. 
And then they got, finally got run out of there. So they met in homes. They met in houses. You know what a sanctuary is? A sanctuary is where God's people are assembled together. That's the reason the Bible tells us in Hebrews not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some do. We're not to forsake that. Why, why did God say that? He said, I enjoy meeting with you and being among you and reading your hearts because I'm looking for worship. Isn't that interesting? That's what the Bible says, that He's looking for that. And so God told Moses, said, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now God is everywhere. As I said, a walk in the woods, I've seen God there. This morning... I have seen God in the face of some of our young people. You know what our young people know? And you've seen it. They know I love them. I didn't have to tell them. They know I love them. And they know I enjoy their presence. And you know what? When I look at them, I looked at J.D. this morning. And I was saying, Happy birthday, buddy. And I got the brightest smile from him. He just looked at me and smiled. You know, we can experience the Lord anywhere. But we do uniquely when God's people are assembled together and we're in the place, in this place, in the sanctuary, in the sanctuary. And God said, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll be there, Lord. (laughs) I won't miss being there. I've been your pastor for 23 years. How many times have you seen me miss being here? Well, if you thought about it, you say, well, the only time I know you missed what being here was a couple of surgeries you had over the years. I don't ever miss... I've never seen the preacher miss because of the flu. I only had the flu twice in my life and that was enough. I have immunity now. I don't need to take a flu shot. I have immunity. <laughs> and so, that's what God bless me with God bless me with natural immunity and he did you too now I know we can be in place and in positions where maybe it's compromised because of our health or whatever Lisa could tell us all about that but God made us that way God made us that way now I'm not going to say I'm not ever going to have COVID again because I might if I said that but I don't expect to I really don't because I had it and so I have antibodies and I think they're going to protect me. That's just the way. How did I get off on that? Well, that's I, I do get off every once in a while. But I, I want to tell you this morning that there are many places and I've seen the Lord in your faces. I've seen Him in the young... And young people, yeah, I want to say something. I'm so thankful for parents that bring their young people and come to church as the Bible would say that we need to do. And I've got to tell you something. If there's a parent anywhere in the world, and there probably will be, is and will be, that you don't bring your children to the house of the Lord, you are saying to your children, that's not important to me. Don't be offended. 
You know what I say all the time, if I tell you something that's true and you're offended, it's because you're in the flesh, but if you're in the Spirit, you're convicted. Parent, when you fail to involve your young person in the life of your church, you've done so and sent them a message that that's not important to me. That's a fact. That's a fact. So don't be offended. Now I've got just a minute, so I want to say something to you in the time that uh, is remained. I, I thank God that over the years I've had the opportunity of experiencing this thing that I've been preaching about. Used to, and I won't get into reasons why it don't happen as often as it used to, because it used to happen really often. I remember one, one uh, month or, or one period of time when I was pastor at Kidville over in Clark County that I, I had six revival efforts. Peggy and Sue and Shonda and a bunch of you will remember those times and sometime I'll explain to you why I'm not preaching six revivals a year. <laughs> well, I can tell you this, they don't like what I got to say, be honest with you. But I thank God that over the years, the many times that I have witnessed and experienced the Lord moving among His people assembled. Let me tell you a little story. One time I was asked to preach this meeting and it was out in the western part of the state. I don't even remember where. The pastor was a, a student in Bible college and he didn't stay on the church field. He, they had a mobile home and, and they, he told me how to get there and gave me a key. key to the mobile home and a key to the church. Just go, make yourself at home. You can stay there all week while the meeting's going on. When I went in the church, there was a, a big balcony. This church was out in the middle of nowhere. The building was. There was this big old balcony. I just got down on my knees and prayed about the meeting. Lord, fill it up. Well, He did. He actually filled it up. Well, the first evening of the meeting, the pastor come to me and said, Preacher, there's something that I think is going to hinder our revival effort. And I said, what is that? And he said, we have two families that are feuding and fighting. And it just breaks my heart. I want you to pray, please. Because that, that would hinder a revival effort. I don't know. It might have been about the second uh, night And I never mentioned that. I kept that to myself or whatever. But I never mentioned that. I didn't know who it was. And uh, when the end of the service come, and I stopped and I asked people to stand and the music director to come, I saw this woman step out of a pew. I saw her walk across the aisle. And I saw her speaking to this man And this man, I could see his face, and he was angry. She kept talking. And all at once, he began to weep.
He turned around and he hugged her and she hugged him and they embraced. Y'all going to find this hard to believe, but that invitation lasted longer than the sermon. Y'all know how long I preach. It did. Because the very next thing I witnessed was this elderly man, he must have been well up in his 80s, began to make his way out of the balcony. And he come down and he professed Jesus as his Savior, weeping. I watched people just walking the aisle, weeping and crying, God moving. I've witnessed that so many times and I thank God for that. And I've had some of those experiences myself. I want to tell you all, in my life, every experience I've had with that has been in the sanctuary where God's people were gathered together. That is His sanctuary. If we didn't have a building today and we met in a barn somewhere, it still is sanctuary. He chooses to move in that setting. And we need to seek that, don't we? Amen? We need to seek that. We need to say, Lord, I would love to see You move in a mighty way and touch people's hearts. I could tell you about some other things too, but I've run out of time. But you know what? i got all kinds of time till the Lord comes back. I guess. I don't know for sure. So you'll hear another one later on probably. <laughs> but listen, I want to invite you this morning. There may have been people who say, I don't have that kind of experience with the Lord and I want it really, really bad. If you just need to come up and take me by the hand and say, Preacher, I want you to pray for me and pray for that. I'm going back to my pew. That'll be fine. If you're here or somewhere and you'd say, I used to have that experience, but I've let other priorities move into my life and I don't have it anymore. And I know what you said, Preacher, that I need to repent. And if, if I don't repent, if I'm indifferent toward that, God might bring me to a great awakening in my life. Father, we thank You and praise You for what the psalmist said. Oh, I wish I, wish I had another hour because there's so much here. And Lord, we need Your presence. We need to experience You. That's what it's all about. That's what You're looking for. Help us, O oh Lord, to honor You and glorify You and lift You up and exalt You in our own life first. And then we'll see it spread. It's contagious. Also, his apathy is contagious too. And we pray it doesn't go that way. We pray that it goes the way of excitement and joy in our experience with You. Now bless us as we sing this closing number. We'll give you the praise for the results in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Now would you stand with me? Brother Anthony's going to come and lead us in a closing number.